Well, good morning and welcome to Core Church. My name is Eric and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited to be continuing our series this morning called Brutiful. And this series has just been really really amazing. If you've missed any week of this series, I highly encourage you to check out our podcast so that you can catch up on it because every single week there's been some kind of practical tool, practical handle that has just been so helpful when it comes to dealing with the things in our lives that are brutal. And that word brutal is a combination of the word brutal and the word beautiful because life can be brutal and beautiful all at the same time. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that no matter how brutal things can be, that God can make beautiful things again. And if you've got a Bible, get it open and go to Matthew chapter 8. If you have the uh, app U version, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so make sure that you click on where it says NLT so that you can follow along. If you do not have a Bible, I highly encourage you to download version. It's free, and I think it'll be really helpful for you, uh, not only this morning, but just moving forward in your life. I think it'll be really helpful for you. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 8, and this is the first of four Gospels in the New Testament. And what the Gospels are is they are written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see here in Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5, we're going to read through verse 13, a story, one of my favorite stories out of the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 5 to 13 says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. This morning, what we're going to talk about is finding God in the struggle. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chance that we have to gather. And I pray that as we continue to look at this story and open your word, that it will help us. And it will help us continue to find you in the struggle, in the brutal in the things that we experience that are just hard. And we ask for your spirit to move during this time and that your word would be made fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, life is brutal. Life is beautiful. Life is brutal. And you've got to wonder where these combinations of things first started. Like, now that it's summer, there are snow cone places everywhere. And my question is, who was the first one to have the idea to put the flavors banana and peach together to make a snow cone? Or how about this, the combo of chocolate and peanut butter? Or what about this, peanut butter and hot dogs, ice cream and french fries, watermelon and salt, chicken and waffles, pizza and ranch, sriracha sauce, and anything? 
Like basically anything, you can put sriracha sauce on. Someone somewhere had the idea of two different things coming together that make something entirely new. And for those of you that need an example that isn't food related, an easy one is think of a marriage. It is two different people from two different backgrounds, from two different walks of life, from two different separate families coming together to make one new family, one entirely new different thing. When I was in college, I made a discovery. One morning, I was going to the Commons for breakfast, and I chose orange juice as my drink of choice for breakfast, but I also had a systematic theology class at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I knew that I needed some kind of caffeine to keep me going and focused throughout that class. Otherwise, I was going to fall asleep. I'm sorry uh, to my professor if that ever happened while you were teaching. Probably did. But the, the coffee machine was broken, so I had to go for the Dr. Pepper. Now, I'm sitting there, and I'm enjoying my orange juice, I'm enjoying my Dr. Pepper, I'm enjoying my breakfast, and I realize that I've got to speed it up and cut it short, otherwise I'm just going to be late for my class, and the whole day is just going to be derailed. But something that you need to know about me, if you don't already know this, is I hate wasting food. Anything that I'm eating, anything that I'm drinking, I just hate to waste it. So I scarfed my food, and I realized I had half a cup of orange juice, and I had half a cup of Dr. Pepper left. So what did I do? I mixed the two of them into one cup, and I drank it as I walked across campus. And come to find out, it's actually pretty incredible. I mean, it's not the best thing to look at. I'll give you that. Okay, the color is really gross, and the pulp that's in the orange juice makes it look like it's got a bunch of food floaties in it. I get it. That's, that's gross. But the taste of it is actually really incredible. And here's what you need to do if you're thinking, i got to try that. I know there's people out there that are hearing this, and they're going, I need to try that. I have to try that. Like, it is my task for this afternoon. Here's what you do. You mix the ratio half and half. The more pulp, the better. It's going to look worse, but the more pulp, the better. And if, if, if you're hearing this and you're like, that is disgusting. I can't believe you would even do that. I'm never sending my kids to college. Don't knock it until you try it. Like if, you're, if you say that it's disgusting, but you've never tried it, you can't say that. That's what we say to our boys when we're having dinner and they're like, I don't like this. It's like, you can't say you don't like it because you've never tried it. So don't knock it until you try it. Give it a shot. I call it Dr. Juice. And if I learned anything in college, it was how to mix Dr. Pepper and orange juice just perfectly. But it was two different things coming together to make something entirely new. And when we hear the, the word brutiful, that's what it is. And brutiful really sums up life. Life can be brutal. Life can be beautiful. And something that I heard years ago and that I refer to often, I've never forgotten, is, is when someone said this. You are either headed into a brutal season, you're in the middle of a brutal season, or you're coming out of a brutal season. And that's the cycle of life. There are heavy seasons that we experience, but then there are seasons of peace. Imagine it like a balloon, okay? The balloon is expanding and expanding and expanding. And those are, those are kind of just the brutal seasons of life. They can kind of seem like it's one after the other. And just before we think it's about to pop, the pressure is released and that is the season of peace that we experience. When we were planning this series, Pastor Brad asked me to take this specific topic of what it looks like to find God in the struggle. Because when it comes to what this last year and a half has looked like for me, there have been some struggles. There have been some ups, there have been some downs, and there have been some brutal things that have happened. And it seemed like for me, it was literally one thing after the other. And as I say that, I know that you're all tracking with me because this last year and a half hasn't been anything that we expected it 
to be. There are brutal and beautiful things that we've experienced. Things that I have experienced that have left me scratching my head thinking, what was the point of that? Like, like what was the overall purpose? Most of the time, I didn't think that there was one. What did I have to gain or learn from that experience? And again, I was scratching my head to try to answer all of these questions. And when it comes to the pain, when it comes to the struggle, when it comes to the brutal things that we experience, whatever you label it as, there's a question that we all ask. There's a question we all ask when we come up against those things. And this is one of those questions that isn't new to us, okay? It's not new to our generation. It's been asked before, and it will continue to be asked. It's the question we ask when we're in the middle of the struggle, when we're in the middle of the brutal, when we think that there's no way to understand what is happening, and there's no way to understand why it's happening. We ask the question, how do I find God in all of this mess? How do I find God in all of this mess? And maybe, maybe you're thinking, as you hear that question, that it's not a question that you ask, it's a statement that you make. And the statement that you make is God is not in this struggle. God is distant. God is not here. Either way, at the end of the day, we're craving some kind of resolve. We're craving some kind of response, some kind of reason to the madness. Like, what is it? What's going on? Why is this happening? What does this mean? And that comes from asking this question, how do we find God in the struggle? How do we find God in the thick of the brutal things that we are experiencing? Not after the struggle, right? Like, not six months after and somebody comes to us and says, hey, think about it. Six months from now, you're going to insert blank. Like that's sometimes just the worst thing that we can hear when we're in the middle of the struggle. We're in the struggle. So how do we find God in the struggle in the here and now? And maybe a question that you're thinking is, can we? Like, is that even possible with everything that I'm experiencing? And not just in my personal life, but then what's happening around the world. Like, can we find God in the struggle? Let's look back at the story. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 6. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. What I love about this story is the response of the Roman officer. He shows us, he shows us the first thing to do when it comes to finding God in the struggle. And what I, what I love about what this story records is how he has a young servant who's in terrible pain, and there's nothing that the Roman officer can do for him. Like, there's absolutely nothing that he can do, which is important to point out because this man, this Roman officer, is a man of authority, which means that if there was something that needed to be done, if there was something that needed to be fixed, if something needed to happen all it took was a couple commands, and it, and it happened. And here we find the Roman officer in a situation that he's not able to figure out, that he's not able to command his way through. And he shows us the first thing to do in finding God in the struggle through his response. The first thing we do is we look for God. We look for God. When we're in the struggle, we look for God. And it can be tempting to think that because we're struggling, that because we're experiencing that brutal thing, because we're wandering in the wilderness, whatever label we put to it, we can think that when we struggle that God is absent. 
And it can be tempting to think that God is not with me. But what we see from this Roman officer is that he knew who Jesus was. And he knew that Jesus was close. So he went to look for him. Like that was his initial reaction to the realization that there was nothing in his power to change this situation. His initial reaction was, I've got to find Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. And he knew to go and look for Jesus. And when it comes to looking for God, we need to remember that it's not like hide and seek, okay? Like it's not a sick game. It's not something, it's not this game that God plays with us like a, like a trick, like he, we just don't know where to go. We just don't know what to look for. That's not what this is like. When we think about seeking God, like what does that mean? It means that we give our attention, we give our focus to God. And we have to remember what Scripture says about who God is. And we have to remember about what Scripture says about the presence of God in our lives. And I'm going to throw these at you quick. They're not going to be up on the screen. So maybe write just a little bit of these down so that you can Google them and find them later. But here are some Scriptures about God's presence in our lives. Scripture says that he is ever present and ready to help in times of trouble. In the Psalms, it talks about how he is close to the brokenhearted. It says that he is closer than a breath. When God speaks to Elijah, how does he speak to him? After the earthquake and the fire, he speaks to him in a whisper. Why does God whisper? Again, it's not, it's not a game. It's not, it's not because he wants to make things hard to figure out or confusing to hear. But think about it. When someone is whispering something to you, what do you do to make sure that you hear it? You lean in, right? God whispers because he's close. The Roman officer was a man of authority, and his initial reaction was to go to the man of authority. He knew that Jesus was the son of God. He had heard the stories. He knew what had happened, what he was capable of, and that's who he went to look for. It's like when we go to the manager, when we're in a restaurant or we're in a store and we just can't seem to figure out what we need or find what we need or resolve some kind of situation. I, I, I need to see the manager. Why do we do that? because we know that the manager is the person in authority. This Roman officer, again, he knew the way that authority worked, and he went to the man who was going to get things done. So the first thing we do to find God in the struggle is we look for God. And the next thing that we do when it comes to finding God in the struggle is this. Look back at Matthew 8, 7 through 9. Then Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word. I love that. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. The second thing that we do when it comes to finding God in the struggle is we look to God. We look to God. And I love how the Roman officer responds, just say the word. The Roman officer realized the power that Jesus had, the authority that Jesus had, and he knew that because he was in proximity of Jesus that anything was possible. 
He knew that all he had to say for the situation with his, with his, uh, his, his servant to resolve itself was to just say the word. The faith that this soldier has is incredible. And he looks to Jesus as the only source of hope for things to change, and he knows that all Jesus has to do is speak. Me personally, the way that I would respond to this, I would say, speak. I mean, I'm, I'm down the street and I'm around the corner. Like, it's, it's, it's quite the, the distance. Like, how about you follow me and I'll show you where he is. You can come in. You can lay hands on him. You can pray for him. You can maybe try the spit in the dirt thing again. Like, we can maybe figure that out if that's something that needs to happen. But the faith of this officer is coming from a few things. And the first thing that's coming from is that he knows who God is. And as we see in the story, for this Roman officer to reference Jesus as Lord and for him to know that all he has to say is a word, he knows who God is. And he recognizes the second thing, the power and authority that Jesus has. And when it comes to us, when it comes to our faith, and when it comes to the way that we respond to struggles, we can have that same kind of faith. We just need to go back to the beginning of the story. And not the beginning of this story, the beginning of the entire story of the Bible that begins in Genesis. When God first created, how did he create? Scripture records it this way. Then God said, and things happened. Then God said, and then there was light. He spoke things into existence. All he needed was a word, and that's all that this soldier was asking for. And when you think about it in your life, think about words that have been said to you that have been kind, that have been encouraging. Like, it's amazing the impact that a kind word makes. When I was in college, I got really serious about writing and playing music, and I just really felt that God spoke to me and told me that at some point, I didn't know when, but at some point that I was going to release a record, an album of my music. I didn't know when, I didn't know how, but when I was in college, I really just began writing, began collecting. I graduated college in 07, continued to write, continued to record, and fast forward to 2018. So 11 years after I've graduated college, I'm still writing, I'm still recording, I'm still collecting kind of just this music so that I just don't forget. And to be completely honest, like to open the curtain a little bit, I, I was really feeling discouraged just about the whole thing because I thought, I've got all this music, I've got all these these scratch recordings, like I just... I still feel like that this is a promise that God made to me. So I was continuing to look to God because I, I, I just believed that that was a promise that he made to me. I just didn't know when it was going to be fulfilled. So again, this is 2018, 11 years after I felt like I first kind of received this promise. And I'm coming back from a ministry conference in Oklahoma City when a friend of mine from college calls me. And this was honestly a friend that I had not connected with in quite a while. And I answer the phone and I go, I go, hey, how's it going? He goes, it's going good. Hey, I, I was just praying for you. And <laughs> this might sound strange, but I, I, as I was praying for you, I, I just remembered 
you playing your your music in college and and I'm wanting to kind of start recording and kind of helping people record their music and I I just really feel like God is telling me to help you make a record. Like does that connect with you? Does that resonate with you? And I'm driving at this point and I'm like, uh oh my goodness. Like what is happening? Like does it resonate? Are you kidding me? He said the word and that word and that hope was just so encouraging. And here's what's so important. When we look to God and we keep looking to God in the struggle, when someone says something that connects, when someone says something that hits deep, that just really connects to our heart and our soul, we need to recognize that that's from God and to hold on to it, to write it down, to pin it up, to put it in a note in your phone. When those things are said They direct our attention and our focus back on God. And that's what helps keep us looking to God. So we look for God. We look to God. And the last thing that we do when it comes to finding God in the struggle is we let go. Not let go of God, but we let go of what we can't control. Again, when we look back at this story, we see how the Roman officer, that's what he had to do. He had to let go of control. He had to let go of his pride. He recognized his failure to not be able to help this young servant in the way that he needed. He realized that he could not help him. There was nothing that he could do that was going to to help this servant get what he needed. There was no way for him to heal this servant. So he had to let go of his control, and let God do what only God could do. And think about how this might look. This man of authority, this man in power, comes to Jesus in a public place and is pleading to Jesus, pleading for help. And imagine being just in the vicinity of what was happening, seeing this man in power and authority coming to Jesus, pleading for help. What that's saying is, I can't do this. I can't figure this out. I need help. And what we learn from his example is that is humility. That's letting go. And we need to do the same. We need to let go and realize that there are just things in life that we cannot do, that we cannot figure out. We need to go to a doctor. We need to go to a friend. We need to go to a pastor. We need to go to our core group and say, look, I I can't figure this out. Like, I've tried this. I've tried this. I, I, I just don't know what to do. I need help. And if I'm being honest... Just let me pull back the curtain even further. This is the hardest part for me is letting go. Because sometimes this concept of control that we think we have and, and is the only thing that we're holding on to, it's, and it's what we think is going to be the most helpful if we continue to hold on to it. But, but this story teaches us otherwise, right? The story teaches us otherwise. About a year ago, I realized that when it came to my, my health, that it, my health was just upside down. Like there were just a lot of things that were going on. And so I began to keep a note in my phone about just the different symptoms that I had. 
Type it in these symptoms. I feel this way. This is happening. I, I've got this headache. I've got, I'm dizzy, blah, 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 blah. I'm just writing all these symptoms down. And so what did I do? I collected these symptoms, and I took them to my doctor. And I, I showed him this, this note that was on my phone, and I said, this is what's going on. And I just kind of scrolled through so that he could read it. And then I pulled up the page on Google, and I go, and this is what Google says is going on. Like, I've seen Dr. Google, and I'm just coming here for kind of a second opinion. Actually, I'm coming in here for you to confirm what I already know to be true. And the list of symptoms that I was having, they were headaches, dizziness, chest pain. I I would stay awake for two to three days at a time until I just literally crashed. I was having heart flutters, heart palpitations. I mean, you name it. And my heart was doing it. And I'm just writing all of this down. And I walk into my doctor after he reads those symptoms, and I'm like, I'm having heart attacks. Like, I, I, like I know. I, I know I'm having heart attacks. This is what I feel. This is what Google says. I'm having heart attacks. And he goes, all right. Let's not, let's not jump the gun here. Just slow down. Put your phone down. I have some questions for you. I'm like, all right, I'm prepared for this. I know what I, I know, and I know what needs to happen. So he begins to ask me these questions, which weren't really satisfying because I knew everything that I needed to know about what was going on. And I said, this is how I feel. This is what's happening. I'm having heart attacks, like you don't understand. And he goes, okay. Well, we're we're gonna test you for this, this, this. So over the next few days, over the next few weeks. I mean, I was poked, I was prodded, I was scanned. I had to wear one of those box things with the sticky patches all over it. And wouldn't you know, all of that came back to say that my heart was fine. My chest was clear. My heart was perfect. My doctor said, you do not have any problem whatsoever with your heart. And I was like, great, but what is this? Like, what's going on? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Why am I feeling like I'm having a heart attack? I needed some kind of answer. I need some kind of response. I needed something to resolve the feeling and the situation. I needed something. And I remember saying, you've got to tell me what this is. You've got to tell me what's going on. Because I don't know. And he goes... It's okay that you don't know. But I really think it's anxiety. I was like, what? No way. No way is this anxiety. I'm having heart attacks. And he said, no, you're not. Like, we know that for a fact. You are not having heart attacks. You're overloading your mind and your body with irrational fear. And it's beginning to take a physical toll on your body. And you, you said it, like it's stealing your sleep. And if I can ask you, why are you staying awake for so long? And I felt like that question was just a question that I couldn't hide from. I mean, yes, we're the only two people in this room, but when you're sitting on that chair and your feet are floating and you feel like you're six years old back in the doctor's office, like there was just nothing that I could do to escape that moment. And I said, I, I, I feel like I'm having heart attacks and I'm afraid that I'm going to die in my sleep. 
And he looked at me and he said something that I will never forget. And if you haven't written anything down at this point, write this down. He said, remember what's true and remember what isn't. Remember what's true, remember what isn't. You thinking you're having a heart attack is not true. What is true? Your heart is fine. So can you trust me and let go of that fear? Because we know for certain that that's not what's happening. And I'm telling you, like, the relief that I felt. Remember what's true. Remember what isn't. And for me, that day was the beginning of my journey to better understand my mental health and what I needed to do to best help myself through medication, through therapy, through being open and honest about how I was feeling. But it's been hard. I mean, there have been days that have just been so tough. When I first started medication, I couldn't think straight. I didn't feel like myself. My, my wife was just like, man, what is going on? He's just different. He just, his personality has changed. Like, it was, it was tough. And for me, finding God in the struggle was what kept me going, and it's what led me to freedom. So remember what's true, and remember what isn't. Keep the truth in front of you. And the way we do that is by prayer and scripture and leaning into our friend circle. And the way that we keep the truth in front of us is to look for God. Look to God and let go. And my prayer for you, as you continue this week and as you just continue in life, when you experience things that are brutal, that you will remember that that life is beautiful, and that God can make anything beautiful again. Remember what's true. Remember what isn't.